<laughs> Praise the Lord. All right, young people can be dismissed at this time while you turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2, if you would. I think it's been such a blessing lately to see uh, the Lord bring some folks our way. I appreciate having met the Ray family already and them coming, moving here uh, from Las Vegas. And uh, you pray for them as they get their first winter. Amen. That's always a fun one. And, uh, of course, the Patey family coming back. Appreciate that. And today we have the Krells with us. Good to have them with us. And the Steenbergs, good to have them as well uh, whenever they're here. So uh, we're just grateful for who the Lord brings because there are some, as you can tell, that uh, are not as comfortable to be here with a, a little bit of a spike going on, and that's fine. Uh, but I'm grateful for those of you that are uh, with us today. Sometimes... Uh, we do not get what we want. I uh, heard a story of three sons who left home, and they went on their own, and they all prospered, and they were successful. And one time they met together and talked about what they got for their aging mother for her birthday. The first said, I built a big house for my mom. The second one said, I, I uh, bought mom a brand new Mercedes, but I got her a driver because I know she doesn't like to drive that much. The third with a smile, said, I've got you both beat. So you know how mom loves the Bible so much, and uh, yet she has a hard time reading? I've got her a parrot that can recite the entire Bible. It took 20 monks 12 years to teach this parrot how to recite the Bible. And uh, now I know she's going to love it because all she's got to do is say chapter and verse, and this parrot will spit out what she wants to hear. Well, soon, Mom sent out letters of thanks, and this is what she wrote. To the first son, Milton, <clears throat> the house you built is so huge, I only live in one room, but I have to clean the whole house. Second son, Marvin, I'm too old to travel. I stay home all the time, and I never use the car, and the driver is rude. But to her third son, dearest Melvin, you are the only son to have the good sense to know what your mother likes. That chicken was delicious. Amen. Sometimes we don't get what we want, but I'm glad that Jesus always gives us what we need, amen? And today, I want to tell you a story about a man who was twice healed and did not get what he initially wanted, but he got what he needed. Read with me, Mark chapter 2, verse number 1. The Bible says, and again, he entered in Capernaum after some days, and it was noise that he was in the house, and straightway many were gathered together insomuch that there was no room to receive them, no, not so much as about the door, and he preached the word unto them. And they came unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. When, he would, when they would not come nigh unto him for the press, that means the people, they uncovered the roof where he was, and when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. When Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. But there were certain of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why did this man thus speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? Father, I pray you'd help us now as we look at this message and for the next few minutes. And we, again, are grateful for all that are here. We pray that you just help us see something special from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Twice healed. In our text today, Jesus does some things that are a bit surprising. In fact, if you look at our text, which we will today in and in this, from this direction, we'll look at three surprises or three surprised people in the, this text today. And uh, in, in them, 
Jesus will then answer a question to one of those groups with a riddle. So let's start to break this down. The three surprised groups will be the seekers of the healing, the readers of the story, and the leaders of the people. We'll look at those three different surprises, starting out with the seekers of the healing. The Bible talks here about a man who was sick of the palsy. That means he was paralyzed. Now, the fact that the Bible says he was sick from the palsy means that that was a result probably of a sickness. Could have been something like polio. We don't know all the sicknesses that were involved in this, but we know he was laying on the ground. He had to be carried by four people. So there was some kind of uh, bad sickness that caused this. And I don't know, again, all that was involved, but I think we can safely say this man had COVID-19. And this paralytic had some friends. And they were pretty good friends because they carried him. Four people carried this guy to where Jesus was so they could offer or, or try to secure healing for him. They went to bring him to Jesus, who is currently speaking in Peter's house, according to chapter 1. Uh, they're in Capernaum, and uh, he's preaching to people, and they're so packed that not even around the door is, you could not walk through the door and stick your head around just to see Jesus. It was so packed out. Well, this is where these young men, or these men came with their friend. What to do? I like the fact these fellows here did not just turn around and go home. Uh, they were persistent, and I like that. I like when people don't give up at the first sign of difficulty. Calvin Coolidge said, and uh, nothing in the world can take the place of persistence. Talent will not. Nothing is more common than unsuccessful men with talent. Amen? I believe, I believe that. Genius will not. Unrewarded genius is almost a cliche. Education will not. The world is full of educated delinquents. Persistence and determination alone are omnipotent. These fellows here were determined. They're going to do all they can to bring this man to Jesus. And when it comes to bringing people to Jesus, dear friend, listen now, it will happen only outside of your comfort zone. It will not be easy sometimes to bring people to Jesus. It'll take some determination and it'll take <coughs> some persistence. So they stand around and they look what to do. They're scratching their head. Here's the man and he might well be saying, listen, guys, we tried. I really appreciate it. Just take me back home maybe another day. One of them looks up at the roof and he says, I got it. Let's go through the roof. We can't come from the side. We obviously can't come from underneath. So let's just go through the roof. These houses would have had flat roofs where people would go out, be able to walk outside on the roof. And on the side, outside of the building was a set of stairs that would go to the roof is kind of the, the, the way in the culture this time houses were. And so they went up those stairs, carried him up to the top. And just picture this scene as Jesus is possibly seated and teaching the people in this house and preaching to them. They're packed in so hard. They can't even sit. They're all standing all the way out the door. He's preaching and he's teaching. And all of a sudden, they hear some noise from above them. Scraping, scratching, pounding. And uh, before long, they see dust starting to fall down through the roof. You can just picture as people are wondering what in the world's going on. Uh, when I'm here alone uh, studying, and, and uh, on during, usually during the weekday mornings, and the, and the building's very quiet, uh, I hear running across. And I thought at first we had bats in our belfry, if you know what I'm saying, something going on. I thought we have rats in our attic or squirrels, and I found out later it was just squirrels on the roof. But, there, but it really is, a, a, you hear something going on in the roof. This is what they heard. And then, now dust is falling, and then suddenly a crack of light comes through the top 
and uh, now more dirt is falling, and then they make a hole, and the people up looking up through the roof, and they see four men looking down through the hole. There's two faces I'd like to see in this scene. Peter, whose house is being torn apart. Imagine him. I mean, he hold me back. You know, Peter, he was the one who was ready to just, he was always so uh, froward his, his, in his life. And uh, somebody's, hold, hold, hold up, Peter, hold up. Uh, you know, not, don't panic yet. But his house is being torn up. And then Jesus. I'd like to see Jesus' face. I, I picture him with a hint of a smile. You know what Jesus loves to find? Faith. He loves to find faith. In fact, the Bible says in Luke 18, talking about the second coming, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth? He likes faith. And these men had it. Everyone else looks up. They only see four faces peering down at them through the dust and the, and the, and the silhouetted in the sunlight, but Jesus sees faith. And then they start to let him down, kind of like you would a, a casket into the ground with the four ropes, I guess, or whatever they had. They're letting him down through the roof. He's working his way down, trying to not fall off. And there he lays down in front of Jesus. Everyone can tell immediately that he's very sick. There's a bad problem here. And then <coughs> Jesus looks down at him. A hush would fall over the room. Uh, just pure shock in everybody's eye. This is not normal, okay? If somebody blows a hole in our church and lets somebody down, it's not a normal thing to happen. So there's stunned silence. A hush is over the room. What's Jesus going to do? Here's what would have surprised the friends, the, the four the seekers of the healing. In fact, this, the, Jesus' first words might have not only surprised him, but irritated him a little bit. Here, look at what Jesus says. He does not say, rise up and walk yet. He says, son, thy sins be forgiven thee. Now, the friends of the paralytic might say something like, Jesus, excuse me just for a second. Not to knock what you're doing, but we didn't bring him for forgiveness. We brought him for healing. The man needs to be healed. And the most important need he has right now, that's why we brought him. He has a little bigger problem than the idea of forgiveness, and Jesus' answer would be, no, he doesn't. Uh, Jesus makes it clear that nothing is more essential in our lives than a right relationship with our God. Physical health, material prosperity, professional success, these are all good things, but it is not more important than your spiritual condition. Now, Jesus did eventually heal him, praise God. He does care about our physical situation and our physical problems, but it just... He just makes sure that it has its proper place in our lives. Jesus is saying there's something beyond this life that is more important than this life itself. What each one of us need more than anything else is a relationship in which our sins are forgiven by God. No matter what your problem is today, friend, and you may think this is my biggest need. It might be a physical illness. It may be a financial hardship. It may be a relationship problem. But the most fundamental need that you have in your life is for your sins to be forgiven. Everything else is secondary. Now, our flesh doesn't like that. Our flesh hears that and thinks, man, you don't get it. I'm suffering. I have a serious problem. It is my most urgent need. Hey, I'd love to work on my relationship with God at some point, but right now, this is my need. I need to be well. Jesus says, no, you need a relationship with the Father even more than you need to be well. Here's why. Listen, even if you got healing today, even if your financial troubles were magically solved today, 
They're going to come again. You're going to get sick again. You're going to have troubles again. You know, Lazarus, who was raised from the dead in the Bible, where is he? I haven't met him lately. He's gone again. He died again. Amen? It, those physical healings, they aren't permanent. And these troubles will come back. And so you're going to be tossed to and fro between fear and anger and despair unless you have a relationship with God the Father. That is unchanging. Now, if you get healing today and get sick later, then you wouldn't be able to handle that without the relationship with God that you need. So you need your sins forgiven more than you need to be healed. Now, there may be another voice out there, and you're thinking, well, <coughs> along the lines of healing, maybe that's true, but uh, you, you know, I'm not sick, preacher, but you're being a little insensitive. I have troubles in my life. I have been wronged. I have been abused. I need to be forgiven. I'm the one who has been wronged. So don't tell me the main thing I need is to have my sins forgiven. That's insensitive. It's actually not insensitive. It's really quite practical. Because if you have been wronged, really wronged, the one thing you need more than anything else, you need not to be bitter. We're, we've all been wronged, amen? We've all been abused. We've all been uh, we, we've treated wrongly by somebody. You need to not be bitter. It was New Year's Eve in London. Seymour Hicks asked his friend, British writer Frederick Lonsdale, to reconcile with a mutual friend. The two had clashed in the past. They were fighting. They hadn't spoken. They never restored their friendship. And Hicks told his friend, hey, it is New Year's Eve, and it's a terrible time to let things stand between friends. You need to go over and wish him a happy New Year. And he said, no. Uh, Frederick Lonsdale said, no, I'm not going to wish him a happy New Year. Go wish him a happy new year. They've talked back and forth, and finally he said, fine, I will. So Lonsdale grudgingly went across the room and spoke to his enemy. This is what he says, I wish you a happy new year, but only one. <laughs> we can't allow bitterness to be a part of our life, can we? We can't allow bitterness. Bitterness is like drinking poison, hoping the other person will drop dead. And he won't drop dead. You're going to drop dead, spiritually speaking. And so the one thing a wronged person needs above everything else is to be able to forgive the person that wronged them. Guess what? You'll never be able to forgive serious wrongs unless you've experienced forgiveness yourself. Now, now don't miss this. Because unless you see yourself as a forgiven sinner, you will not have the humility necessary to forgive Someone else, you'll feel too superior. No, no, Jesus is right. Your primary need is to be forgiven. That's your primary need. Above healing, above your troubles being taken care of, you need, you need your sins forgiven. What we learn from the first surprise, the surprise of the seekers of the healing. Why in the world you give him forgiveness of sins when he's paralyzed? Jesus makes clear. It's because that is his Number one need. So that was a surprise for the seekers of the miracle. Now, look at the readers of the story. That would be us. We are the readers in the story, and we see something different in this episode of the Bible. Jesus goes up to this man who has not said one word yet, and he says to him, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. Now, immediately, if you have read your Bible much and you read through your Bible or you read a lot of it, you might come, a little, uh, come away a little surprised there because as you read your Bible, you'll see a firm rule within it. With God, there is no forgiveness without repentance. 
God does not look down at all the people in the world sinning today and say, okay, you're all forgiven. Why? Because with God, there's no forgiveness without repentance. May I remind you of 1 John 1, 9 starts out with the word, if, if, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Yet here Jesus walks over to a man who has not said a word to him, and he says to him, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. We can find that a little bit surprising, <clears throat> but as we, as we do so, anytime you're reading Scripture, let me just remind you, the Bible never, 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 never contradicts itself. So don't think that way. If you think you've found a contradiction in the Bible, it's just a lack of understanding in our part because it not, does not contradict itself. So what's the answer? I think I know we find the answer in the text, and it's a pretty cool answer. Look at verse 6. There were certain of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. Why did this man speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? Did you hear what they're doing there? You didn't hear it because it's in their hearts. They're thinking this. Who can forgive sin but God only? The reasoning in their hearts. They're not talking about it. They're not discussing it. Look what Jesus in verse 8 and immediately Jesus, when he perceived in his spirit that they so reasoned among themselves, he said unto them, why reason ye these things in your hearts? Don't miss that now. Verse 7 is in the mind, in the heart. Verse 8, Jesus responds audibly. Uh, Jesus looked at these religious leaders and immediately he perceived what they were thinking. That what they were thinking to themselves, Jesus could hear them. And it makes perfect sense because Jesus was, after all, the Son of God. He's able to read their thoughts. Shall he that made the ear not hear? Shall he made the eye not see? So, if he has that ability, then I think we can kind of see what's going on here. Evidently, in this man, there had to be an inco incoherent desire for mercy and forgiveness in his heart. He, there had to be an unexpressed yearning, a cry of the heart, if you will. As Jesus reads this man's heart, even though he had no... Uh, expressed or he did not say aloud his desire for forgiveness Jesus responded to that desire and he grants forgiveness listen friends so eager so eager is Jesus Christ with his mercy and his grace can I tell you today that the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ is an aggressive grace he wants to give it he wants to give you grace and mercy he wants to demonstrate it in your life. Romans chapter 5 verse 8. But God commendeth his love toward us. In that while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. The Bible tells us in 2 Peter 3 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise. As some men count slackness. But is. Excuse me. But is long suffering to usward. Not willing that any should perish. But that all should come to repentance. Christ is eager to be gracious to us. He's eager to love us. Now we learn several things here. About Jesus. We learn that Jesus is trustworthy uh, we see when he said thy sons be forgiven thee uh, we looking at a man who didn't even express it didn't say it aloud yet Christ is that sensitive uh, to forgive uh, and willing to forgive I think of the story of the prodigal son uh, the father is waiting for his son and we kind of get from gather from the text that he's watching from him because one day at a far distance off he sees his son coming while his son is walking up the road and he's rehearsing in his mind. He's got a speech and he's going to tell the father, I'm no longer worthy to be called thy son. And yet the father, the Bible says, saw him afar off and he jumped off his porch and he ran out to see the, the son. And he, before the son said a word, he threw his arms around him and he kissed him. 
He doesn't love him because he repents. The boy can repent because he is loved. That's aggressive grace. And we see it here in Jesus in this story. There's another miracle in Mark, one of the, a tender miracle of healing where Jesus goes to the home of a little girl who's dead. Her body is lying there. Everybody is wailing and mourning. This is found in Mark chapter 5. And he sits down next to her. And I don't know if you remember this, but the, the Bible records Jesus' words in Aramaic here. The Bible says in Mark chapter 5, verse 41, he took the damsel by the hand and said unto her, Talithemi kumai, Talitha kumai. Talitha was a diminutive word. It meant little one. A parent would use that for a child, much like honey or sweetheart or dear. And then kumai means get up. The picture the Bible gives us here is that Jesus sits down to this little dead girl. He picks up her hand and he softly says, honey, it's time to get up now. See that tenderness, that mercy, that grace. Can I tell you today that Jesus has faced the most relentless foe that we have, and that is death. He has defeated death and thereby offers us life everlasting. And I just want to say today, you can trust him. You can trust him. His healing, his tenderness, his compassion. What else could he possibly do to make us trust him? We also see in this story the great gift, the greatness of the gift of forgiveness. This man had a deeper need than physical healing. You see, there are two types or more than one type of paralysis we even see in this story. There's physical paralysis of the body. He was sick. But there's also spiritual paralysis caused by sin. When I was 10 years old, we had just left the Amish and, and uh, had just started going to a church. I don't even think I was yet saved. I, it was a few weeks while I was uh, just learning all these things. And, uh, but my parents were in church, and I was homesick uh, from church. And, and we had a little little television there and the only thing that was on that morning was church services and so uh, I tuned into a church service and I don't remember who was preaching it was some healer preacher uh, Oral Roberts or, or uh, Jimmy Braggart one of those guys was on TV and he was talking and and preaching and sweating and hollering and and he was talking about healing and as you know my dad has polio had since he was two years old he was crippled and so I was 10 years old. I was watching this. This is brand new to me. I don't know anything about uh, Christianity, about the Bible really yet. And uh, this man on TV said, if you, have some, if you or someone you know needs healing today, physical healing, you put your hand on the television on top of mine. I'm going to pray and God will bring them healing. Well, man, you know me. I scrambled up off the couch. I ran up to the television. I stuck my little hand up there. And he prayed. And I waited. For dad to come home from church. Well, he still limped in the house. What I did not realize then, he's still limping today, by the way. And I didn't realize it then, but God had already done far greater than to heal his paralysis of the body. God healed his paralysis of the soul. Oh, he may still limp today physically, but praise God, God healed him of his sin. And this man in our text was sicker than he realized. Uh, he, he was doubly paralyzed and didn't even know it. He needed to be twice healed. No sick man is truly healed until his sins are forgiven. And that's because all of our suffering, don't miss this, friend, all of our suffering is rooted in our sin. It's because of our sin that we suffer. This man was a kind of object lesson to teach that uh, truth. 
death and disease are consequences of sin. If there was no sin in the world, there would be no sickness. If there was no disobedience in the world, there would be no death. The Bible tells us in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That is that basis of the fact that give us, uh, all of us are sinners. And then it tells us in Romans 6.23, what's the cause of that sin or the result of that sin? The wages of sin is death. Why is there so much death and suffering in the world? There's so much sin in the world. That's just the only answer to it. I have people ask me that once in a while. If God's loving, why does he allow suffering? Because of sin. We're in a sin-cursed world today. And so we are suffering the results of it. All of us have the same problem. All of us need the same thing. Jesus is teaching a lesson here in the order that he does things. Our greatest problem is spiritual, not physical. You can go to heaven, friend, with a broken body, but you cannot go to heaven with a sick soul. You have to have forgiveness. Never forget the great gift of forgiveness. All right, and then third surprise we see the leaders of the people. The religious leaders are very surprised because of what they hear. And the response to their surprise gives us a deeper understanding of who Jesus is and what he came to do. Now, people ask the question, uh, does Jesus ever claim to be God throughout the New Testament? Well, if you read the Bible carefully and you read the Gospels carefully and pay close attention, he really claims that every page of the Bible. It's, made, it's clear in everything that he does. Let me give you one illustration here using Tom, Dick, and Harry. Tom reaches over and punches Dick in the nose. Harry turns to Tom and says, Tom, I forgive you. Meanwhile, Dick's going to turn around and say, Hey, Harry, you can't forgive Tom for hitting me. Think about that simple illustration, but there's a lot of truth in that because you can only forgive someone if they sin against you, right? I can't, look, if, if somebody uh, does something to my friend Will, I, I can't forgive you on his behalf, okay? It's not done against me. It's done against him. He's got to be the one to forgive you. And so if you, it, it, it's just a, something that we understand. So when Jesus Christ walks over to this man and says, all your sins are forgiven thee, who can say that? The maker of Tom, Dick, and Harry. <laughs> That's the only one that can say that. Only he who says, yo, your sins might have been against Tom or Dick or Harry, uh, but ultimately, the sins are all against me. These guys that were listening knew that when Jesus says that, he is claiming to be God himself. Notice in verse 6. Or verse 7. Why does this man speak blasphemies? Who can forgive but God? Who can forgive sins but God only? In response to their protest, Jesus gives them a riddle. Look at the riddle. Whether is it easier to say to the sick of the palsy, thy sins are forgiven thee, or to say, arise, take up thy bed, and walk. Now think about this. I love Jesus sat people down when they, when they started to challenge him. I mean, nobody was better than Jesus just to, you could just add sit down to whatever Jesus said. Blah, 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 sit down, because that's what he did. There was just nothing else to be said after Jesus was done. So he asked him a question. Which is easier? Here's the question. Is it easier to say you're healed or you're forgiven? Which is easier? And it's a trick question because you have to understand both answers. Now, on the surface, we might say, well, it's easier to say you're forgiven than it is to say take up your bed and walk because you and I can forgive, but the man's paralyzed and we can't do anything about healing him. 
Now, Jesus next basically says, to show you that I am who I claim I am, I'm going to heal the man. Verse 11, Jesus says, arise, take up thy bed, go thy way to thine house. The word arise, oh, this is good, is the same Greek word that Mark uses in chapter 16 when the angel says, you seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified, he's risen. Same word used there. The truth is the only way that Jesus can forgive and heal him is because one day Jesus will see death. He will see death himself and he'll rise again. And for Jesus to be able to forgive our sins, let me tell you, friend, it's infinitely harder than saying take up your bed and walk because it means dying. It means going to the cross. Not surprisingly, critics charge Christ with blasphemy because he forgave sins. And and stay with them. I mean, their reasoning is clear. Only God can, can, uh, excuse me, only God can forgive sins. Amen? We understand that. This man's claiming to do what only God can do. We see that. So obviously this man's a blasphemer. One plus two equals three. Case closed. We got a slam dunk here. So when the Pharisees heard this, they said to themselves, who does he think he is, God? And by the way, friend, that's the whole point. Who is this man? That's the question they had to answer. That's the question you have to answer. Uh, either Jesus is a blasphemer or he is God. Jesus cannot be a good man. He cannot be a prophet. He has to be who he is or he's a blasphemer. He's a scandalous liar or he is God himself. You cannot make a person that made the claims Jesus said and said, oh, he was a really good man. He was more than that. He was God, is God. So the choice is you can kill him or you can worship him. Which one's it going to be? It's got to be one or the other. The Pharisees are brilliant. They're informed. They're well-read. They're highly educated, but they have no category to put Jesus in. A healer? Yes. A teacher? Yes. A wise man? Yes. The son of God? No way. They have no way they can attribute that to him. And the sad part of it is the Pharisees didn't have to make this mistake. They had the whole Old Testament that pointed to Christ. Christ fulfilled all of their prophecies. They had no, no excuse for coming to the wrong conclusion. Their question before them, who is this man? Friends, listen, everyone in this room and under the sound of my voice who meets Jesus has to answer the same question. You too must see him as he is. You too have no excuse. Because like they have the Old Testament, we have the Old and New Testament. The Word of God clearly tells us who He is. Jesus' question, whether is it easier to say, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to rise up and walk? Let's go back to that riddle. The key, the emphasis on the word say. You can say either one. If you brought a sick man up to me today, laid him out in front of me, said, and I said, Get up and walk. I can say it. I can say it, but I can't make anything happen, can I? You can say it. Or I can point to somebody and say, all your sins be forgiven thee. I can say it. Doesn't mean it's going to happen for them, but there's one crucial difference here. Jesus used the test for being able to say your sins are forgiven by saying rise and walk. That can't be fake. You can say you're forgiven, and nobody can prove that. They sure can prove when you say rise and walk. Now, the challenge here is this. The, the religious leaders, again, correctly thought that sins 
sin caused all ills, and it does, really. The reason we're sick, the reason that kids get sick, the reason that people get cancer, the reason that there are criminals, the reason that there are thieves and robbers and murderers and all those things in our world today is because of sin, the problem of sin. So if Christ can remove sins from this man, then the man will be healed. The issue in this challenge is the deity of Christ. That's what they were challenging. They challenged the deity of Christ. And then Jesus offered the Pharisees undeniable proof of who he really was. Remember what miracles in the New Testament were for? They were not just for... Look, it really, in, in God's eternal mindset, if he heals a little old lady of a back problem like he did in the Bible, he healed people of blindness and sickness and crippled... Uh, if he heals someone who's, let's just say, 50 years old, make maybe the man with the withered hand... Let's just say he's 50. We don't know how old he was, but let's just say he's 50 years old. It really doesn't matter to Jesus that much. The man's going to die soon. In the, in, I mean, in the scope of eternity, a thousand years like a day to the Lord, he's, he's going to only live a short while. That doesn't really matter to God that much. I mean, it's a huge thing to us if we have problems. Don't get me wrong. But in the grand scope of eternity, if you have a good hand for 20 years, 30 years, I mean, it really doesn't matter in the scope of eternity. The sins matters a lot, doesn't it? So why did Jesus do those miracles? He did it to show them who he was. Nobody else can go around healing. I can't go around healing. I'm not God, but he could. And so his message wasn't, I want to heal everyone who's sick. His message was, I want to save everyone who's lost. But to show you I can and to show you I will, he's doing these miracles. So really what happens in this story is that uh, Jesus basically shows them if he is a blasphemer, then how can he perform the miracle? Jesus says, if I don't heal this man, then you're right about who I am. But if I do heal him, you've got to admit I, I am who I claim to be. Okay, Because you're not healing him. The Pharisees aren't healing him. Nobody's healing him, but Jesus did. Notice what he says in verse 24, uh, that ye may know that you may know. Jesus did the miracle. Don't miss this. Here's our, here concludes the whole message. Jesus did the miracle they could see, so you might know that he had already done the miracle you could not see. He forgave him of his sins. The man was twice healed. Now, you're here today. There are, everybody in the world's in, in one of two categories. You're in two categories. You are either saved on your way to heaven, or you are lost on your way to hell. You say, what about purgatory, preacher? It's not in the book. I know people have come up with it, but it's not in the book. Uh, you, there's either heaven or there's hell, like the, like the rich man and Lazarus in the Bible. One closed his eyes in death, opened him in hell. One closed his eyes in death, opened him in heaven. So that's the two categories of people. Now, if you're in here and you don't know for sure if you're on your way to heaven or you've ever accepted Christ as your Savior, what you need more than you need next month's bills paid, what you need more than your sickness healed, even if you have cancer, what you need more than your cancer healed, you need to have your sins forgiven. That's the most important thing, friend. Don't leave here today without spiritual healing. You say, preacher, I... I'm a Christian, so I've had spiritual healing, but I've got all these physical needs. And I've got to tell you, and, and we're not diminishing them at all. We're not diminishing physical needs. But how many Christians, how many of us, 
put more focus on our physical needs than our spiritual priorities. Let's just, it's not that Jesus doesn't care. Jesus healed the man. He does care. And Jesus cares about you. He cares about your physical ailments. He cares about your financial condition. He cares about all those things. Let's just get the priorities right in our life. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. Let's just get our priorities right the way that Jesus did. There were three surprises. The men let him down the roof, and Jesus said, Your sins be forgiven. I can imagine them looking at each other up top. We just did all this work for that? He needs to be healed. It was a surprise. And to the readers, we might think, boy, it's a surprise that Jesus forgave him and the man never asked for it. But we know Jesus knows our heart. We know he knows our troubles. He knows our desires better than we do. And then he, he really surprised the leaders of the people, the uh, spiritual leaders there, so-called, because of his claim. And then he proved his claim by what he did. What is your need today, friend? Physical healing? Spiritual healing, both are available to you from the Lord. Let's have every head.